0: Lord, we love this feeling, and we know that this feeling is the presence of your Holy Spirit. And thank you for this very simple reminder that the highest thing we can do, the best thing we can do, the truest thing we can do is love you and we walk into a room like this a lot of us and we've been loving a lot of other things that just don't have the weight they don't have the ability to hold us and to keep us like you do. And so we want to express to you in this moment Lord our love for you. And we understand Lord that we only love you because you first loved us. That we're just responding to what you've already done for us on the cross in the resurrection and the filling power of your Holy Spirit. So, Holy Spirit, would you come this morning? More than we need a song or more than we need to hear a sermon, we need you. We need your presence. It's the fire that our hearts need to gather around to be warmed. It's the balm that our wounded hearts need to apply So come, Holy Spirit. Thank you. Thank you that you are going to speak to us. We pray this in your name. All God's people said, amen. I invite you to stand with, remain standing with me as we read the scriptures together. It's our practice to stand out of uh, reverence for God's word. Uh, my name's Scott. I have the privilege of serving here as lead pastor. So if you're joining us for the first time today or online, I'm so glad that you've joined us. We're in the middle of a sermon series called questions about God and we're wrestling through the problems that many people have that keep them from faith in God. And so we're going to talk about one of those problems today. I do need to let you know if you, um, this is your church home, that next Sunday, April the 25th, is our annual board elections. Uh, So for those of you who say, what is that? Well, we're part of a tribe of churches, a global tribe of churches, several million folks around the world, the Church of the Nazarene. Jesus was from Nazareth uh, so we are the Church of the Nazarene, Church of Jesus, and uh, one of the ways we uh, have l- uh, leadership, who is volunteers who provide accountability for where we're going and what we're doing and how we handle money and all of those things is we have a board, and that board is elected. And so if you're a member of the Church of the Nazarene, the Wichita First Church of the Nazarene, and 15 years or older next Sunday in the gym before and after the services, you'll have an opportunity. To vote. Need to let you know that. Matthew chapter 18, the words of Jesus that we're going to be looking at today, a hard word. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? He called a little child to him and placed the child among them, and he said, Truly, I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest. In the kingdom of heaven. And whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. If anyone causes one of these little ones, those who believe in me, to stumble, it would be better for them to have a large millstone hung around their neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. Woe to the world because of the things that cause people to stumble. Such things must come, but woe to the person through whom they come. If your hand or your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away it is better for you to enter life maimed or crippled than to have two hands or two feet and be thrown into eternal fire. And if your eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away, it is better for you to enter life with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into the fire of hell. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Thank you so much for standing out of reverence for God's word. Well, I just periodically, I I like to pause and uh, even before we jump into the message today, just kind of tell you what we're about as a church, where we're going. It's always helpful to be reminded of that. We want to be the kind of church that helps you grow. We want to help you be better. We want to help you have a better marriage. We want to help you be better parents. We want to help you uh, deal, if you're single, with what it means to be single and be connected. We want to help you grow. And we think that the best way for you to do that is to become a follower of Jesus. And following Jesus, you get... A multitude of resources for being the person that God always meant for you to be. And so we want to help you grow as a church. And so we have several environments that we're continually cultivating that we think uh, are important for you on that journey. Number one is that we'd have a compelling environment in a room like this, where you'd sing songs and you'd hear the scriptures taught and in a way that you can apply to your life every day. And uh, we've got all kinds of, we're working through, we're getting ready to hire an arts pastor. Just so you know, I'm having conversations every week And um, with some different candidates, and so we're working through finding that person, so please be praying for that. Um, we, We want to have an environment where you're in a group. We think life is better together, and so belonging to a group, if you want to be in the heart of our church, you need to be connected in a smaller group, and we would love to help you get connected in that way. And then we want to make a tremendous difference in the city of Wichita. I've said it to you many, many times Uh, It's in our name, Wichita First. We want to be the church that puts the people of Wichita first in the name of Jesus. And so we want to make a tremendous impact on our city in every possible kind of way. And we want to do that so many times in so many people's lives that we connect with 1% of the city of Wichita. And uh, so that's what, that's where we're going and what we're about. Now, let me, let me tell you how you actually did that. You did this. This is a huge win for, for us as a congregation and for you. Uh, Easter Sunday, just a couple Sundays ago, we had the egg hunt, if you were here, between the services. And, and there was a family there that had been invited by someone who was new to our church. And they, they live out of town. They're from another country. I watched many of you... Uh, go out of your way to greet that family and they uh, they were there for the egg hunt they'd been invited and they came from out of town and and some of you uh, you you listened to what we said and you donated candy and you donated eggs some of you donated bikes, some of you donated scooters. well that the son, the little boy of that family had been telling his parents, I need a bike. I need a bike. all the other kids in my uh, neighborhood. They have a bike. I have a bike. And I, I don't know what the scenario was, but he didn't have a bike. And guess what happened? Uh, he won the drawing for a bike, <laughs> which is amazing. Uh, and, um, and then, get this, so this, the husband was kind of, nom- grew up nominally Christian in another country. And and if you remember, if you're here that Sunday, I, I preached out of John chapter 3, where Jesus says, you must be born again. And at the end, I, I, I led you in a prayer. And I said, hey, if you want to be a follower of Jesus, this is the time to do that. And that, this is what that man said. He said I'd never heard anything like that and I'd never heard that prayer before and when he prayed that prayer I prayed that prayer. <laughs> Isn't that awesome? Get this though. Then they said, "You know what? We have never been welcomed like that in a church before. Ever." They said, "We've gone places and maybe because we're out of we're from another country, people have turned literally turned their backs on us." And so get I don't know if this will happen, but just understand what you you what you did they're thinking of moving here because of you. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? I love that. Way to go. What a win. Well, hey, uh, we're not talking about that today, but I just needed, I thought that was important. Well, we're talking today about problems that keep people from faith in God. And um, I, I've got to be honest, this is, this today is going to be very tough, okay? So I need you to kind of brace yourself. I need you to gird your loins, um, however you do that. I'm not quite sure how that happens, but do it. It's going to be kind of tough, and uh, this is uh, Jesus is giving a warning to people who in his name do evil things. We're talking about that. That's the problem. The problem of, um, that keeps people from faith in God today is, is uh, evil done in the name of God. Now, last week, we talked about maybe the most emotional problem that people have, and it's the problem of suffering. You can go watch that message. Uh, today, I think this is maybe the most personal problem. It's the problem that shows up in the headlines, um, it doesn't show up in the devastated lives, but it shows up in the headlines, and, and it's, it's abuse, it's cover-ups, it's manipulation, it's lying, it's cheating, it's stealing, it's grabbing power, it's, in, in frankly, in the history of the Christian church, killing. It's evil done in the name of God. You may have seen the movie, uh, the Oscar-winning movie, Spotlight, it, it highlighted this, uh, this team of the Boston Globe who discovered uh, way back a number of years ago the scandal that has rocked the Catholic church and the whole church of priests who abuse boys, usually. And they found that there was a priest who'd abused multiple boys, and then instead of the church owning it and doing something about it, they just moved him to another parish, and he repeated it several times over. And then they uncovered that this was this very rampant thing going on, and they put a spotlight on it. Powerful, powerful film. If you work with kids, watch it. Powerful, powerful film. But here, here's the problem. Let me, let me make sure we understand the problem we're talking about here today. Uh, I, I think we kind of expect that evil will be done in the name of power. I think we kind of expect that evil will be done in the name of ambition. I think we kind of expect that evil will be done in the name of maybe my political party. I, I, I think to some degree we're kind of all like, well, yeah, it's a scandal. That's, you know They're trying to do their thing and they But here's the problem. When it's done in the name of God and it gets covered up by religious people or covered up by the church, it creates this sentiment in people where they say, see, I knew it. This doesn't change anybody's life. You're just like us. You just can't admit it. Faith doesn't work. It's just a cover for terrible behavior, or, or if you're one of the victims or you see the victims, you say, see, and you don't even do enough to care about those victims and listen to them. Instead, you cover for the person who did the wrong thing. Now, I, 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 maybe, maybe it's not so much that, that evil is done by people. I think, we, again, we kind of get that, and it's very disconcerting. Again, it's, it's, when it's covered, I, I'm not going to name a lot of names, but I'm going to name one. Um, because I don't want to be guilty of doing what I'm saying that the church is guilty of doing. For many years, I followed a, a, a Christian leader, author, speaker, traveled the world named Robbie Zacharias, brilliant mind, an apologist for the Christian faith, would travel around to have forums at Harvard and Yale and Oxford and Cambridge and Stanford and Notre Dame, and just a brilliant, brilliant mind, wrote many, many books. I benefited from what he did greatly. Died about a year ago of cancer, and then it came out uh, that, and they did an exhaustive forensic research of all of his devices, and, and it came out that it actually happened that he'd been abusing women in multiple places around the world. Devastating, devastating, devastating thing. And again, I I don't know that the problem is that people are okay. Well, that thing ha- that thing happens. It, the, the issue is that religious people then fail to call it out and repent of it and hold their own accountable. And the church has been guilty of doing things like, well, we got to protect that leader, or we got to cover for that volunteer who did that thing, or we got to justify what happened. And and maybe you even say, well, you shouldn't say his name because I read his books and I like what he did, and so do I. But. You're destroying the good that he did. And I would just say to you, that's the problem It's that we won't name it and own it and reject it. And I think one of the reasons that people walk away from the church and from faith today is not so much that they're having their own personal crisis as much as they look at the church and they say, but the people who claim Jesus are not even living up to what they believe. How can I be a part of a group of people like that? I think that's the problem. Now, I, I, part of me wants to throw a bone to those people because I could list a bunch of names for you, and you might know some of those names, uh, Christian leaders of different stripes, and I, I think most of them, I think they started out to do good. I'm sure there are a few exceptions where they said, oh, this is my chance to do whatever I want, and I'll have a cover of religion over it, and I'm sure there's just a, a small minority, but I think the, most, the majority of them, they started out Like, I'm gonna make a difference and I'm gonna I'm gonna do what's right. But somewhere in their character journey, there was a turn in their character, and they felt the end that they wanted justified the means. It was for them it was kinda like the Ring of Power. Do you know The Ring of Power? I'm a, I'm a huge Lord of the Rings fan. I'm a complete nerd about that. J.R.R. R. Tolkien, the books are better than the movies. Movies are fantastic, but the books are even better. If you don't know the story, it's about these, uh, these, this fellowship of the ring. This ring is this ring of power that only does evil. And it's given to this little hobbit by the name of Frodo. And he and a group of dwarves and elves and men are to travel from there to this big mountain where it was created, Mount Doom, and throw it into the the volcano. And that's how you destroy the ring of power. But the stories, J.R.R. Tolkien was a Christian. He he was writing an allegory. He was saying, listen, we're always tempted by something we think can do good, but will destroy us if we take it. And what, he, what you find out is he writes it, because he's writing a warning to you and me, and he says that they're the sons of men that travel along with this little fellowship of the ring. And, and the, it's always the sons of men who are the ones who take it. And I've got a picture here of one of the characters, Boromir, who decides that, yes, I can. I can take the ring of power, and I won't be affected by it. And what Tolkien is trying to say is that, that it's the temptation that's as old as humanity, and is rooted in pride. I won't misuse it. And and he's trying to say, as soon as you say, I won't do it, I won't be guilty of it, that almost always means that you will. So there's all these kinds of evil done in God's name. I, I'm calling this the wheel of evil, and we're going to put this up on the screen for you here, the different kinds of things, because it always involves a justification, and then it always involves violence. So uh, when someone, uh, someone abuses and they use God as a cover, they're justifying their desire, and they're doing violence to innocence. When someone lies or cheats or steals, they're justifying their need, and they're doing violence to trust. When someone manipulates things to their own and they're justifying the end that they want and they're doing violence to the future because when they get there, they've destroyed trust. And then the record of the, of the Christian church, it's in our, in our history, sadly, is that there has been killing and destruction and you justify the cause and you do violence to someone's body. I mean, the list seems almost endless. So Jesus gives us this word in Matthew chapter 18 and gives us a series of warnings, and I think gives us a way out. Now, I, I promise you, I'm not going to be able to tie this up with a bow. And you're going to walk out going, ah, problem solved. I, I'm, you're going to wrestle, and, and I hope you do. But I need you to hear what Jesus says, because it, they start off with this question from the disciples who are asking the power question, you know, Jesus, who's the greatest? You know, they want to know, who's the smartest? Who's the best? Who's the wisest? Who's right? Who's most important? Because Jesus, we want to be that person, tell us. And Jesus basically says, you're missing the point. Now, we lose it when you're reading it. We lose what would have been happening at that moment. So, the disciples come with this request, and then in the text, there's this long, awkward pause. I can imagine that how it happened was Jesus is standing here, the disciples ask the question, and Jesus just looks at them like, and he walks over into the crowd and he finds, no words, finds a child, brings the child up to the disciples in front of the crowd. And he, he, I mean, everyone's watching this happen. He brings the child up right here and he says, this right here, this one, this, if you want an example of how I define greatness and you want to go with me on my journey, this right here is the example of greatness, period, full Stop. A child. Now, what's a child like? A child is innocent. A child is uh, not jaded. I've got a picture here. You may have seen this video uh, on the internet. It went viral, seen millions of times. These two little boys, they hadn't seen each other in a while, and they run and they greet each other, right? Total innocence. Not jaded at all. Not worried about what people think. You're never afraid in a child's presence, right? You're like, oh my gosh, what are they going to do to me? And then children's motives are perfectly clear. Now, I'm not saying their motives are pure. Any parent who's raised a child, no, your kids' motives are almost, they're not pure, but they're definitely clear. They don't have the ability to hide from you what it is that they want. They don't know how to cloak things like we do. And then they're just full of trust. They just believe anything can happen. One of my friends uh, is a pastor and he was telling me a story that his mom conveyed to him because he didn't remember it. He said he was driving in the car with her. He was three years old. And it was just he and his mom, and they're in the car, and it was a rainy day, and they slid off, um, slid off into a ditch. And this is pre-cell phone, and she's out by herself, you know, mom, young three-year-old in the car, and she tries for about 30 minutes, you know, spinning the wheels, trying to get out of the ditch, and spinning mud everywhere, and she's thinking, I'm never going to get this, I'm never going to get this. All of a sudden, my friend Michael reaches his hand up onto her shoulder, and he says, Mom, we need to pray. God's going to get us out of this. No hint of doubt. <laughs> no hint of, that might not happen. And as she tells the story, she says, you know, okay, all right, God, I, I need to have that kind of faith, the faith of a child like that. And she tried it one more time, and they got immediately out back on the road. And, and Jesus uses a word to summarize this kind of outlook, this, this child-likeness that he says is the way to greatness in his kingdom. And it gets translated here as lowly, but in some other translations, it's humble. Because yeah. children, they don't, they don't know how to use pride as a cover like you and I do. So listen to what Jesus says. Uh, he says, listen, I, I'm telling you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. So in other words, he says to change, you have to intentionally move toward the humility of of child because that's Jesus' standard. I have a picture here of my middle son, Corbin, taken several years ago. We were at the Tallgrass National Prairie Preserve about an hour north. We've gone there every year for quite a number of years. And I, I was going to put those words on the screen, you know, humble and innocent, clear motives and full of trust, and I was just scrolling through pictures, and, and I found that's one of my favorite pictures of all time. It just so perfectly illustrates the heart of what Jesus is trying to say. And Jesus says, listen, unless you change and become like that, you can't ever enter my kingdom. Now, there's two ways to think about that, right? You never enter my kingdom in the sense that God won't let you. That might be the case. But I think what Jesus is referring to even more so is that you won't be able to Because your whole way of life rules out what Jesus is about. It'd be like you being blind, and you really want to drive a car, but your condition would preclude your desire. (laughs) Doesn't matter what you want, you can't do it. You can't get there. And Jesus is saying, if you don't change, you don't change your ways, if you don't become like a little child, you're just never going to be able to enter it. Now, I, I think, again, Jesus is giving us some logic here, and he's saying if you drop the standard of, humility and innocence and clear motives and trust, then you're going to hurt people. Why? Because in its place will be something like pride and you'll be jaded and you'll have mixed motives and you'll be closed off and you'll hurt people. I promise you, if I could catalog for you all the stories that I've heard just in the last 18 months, at every point in every one of those people's story, they stopped somewhere being anything like childlike and they started being something like proud. And then Jesus is so harsh. He says, if anyone causes one of these little ones to stumble, listen to what he says, it would be better for them to have a large millstone hung around their neck and be drowned in the depths of the sea. Do you know what a millstone is? I've got a picture for you. This is what Jesus would be referring to. This is actually from the, the village in Nazareth, uh, a donkey. It's, they would come and bring olives and grain and whatnot, and the donkey would walk this millstone. Around and around and around. This is an, a massive stone. And Jesus. here's what Jesus is doing. He's anticipating this problem of evil done in his name. And he's saying, listen, if you define, let, let me say it to you like this. If you define greatness some other way, there will be hell to pay. Because if you cause somebody to sin and, and you're, you're in your pride, you abuse or kill or lie or, steed or steal or manipulate, and, and they get swept up in your sin and you hurt them in the name of God, it would be better if you went for a swim in the lake with a millstone around your neck. Now, you're like, oh, that's Scott, what a feel-good message today. I'm so glad I came. Wow, this, is so, this feels so warm and fuzzy to me. Um, what, what in the world am we supposed to do about this? Well, Jesus, uh, he steps into it a little bit deeper, and he gives us these, these woes, and he says, woe to the world because of the things that, are, that cause people to stumble. And then he, then he says things like, listen, if your hand or your foot causes you to sin, or your eye causes you to sin, then what you ought to do is you ought to cut that hand off, you ought to cut that foot off, you ought to gouge that eye out. What do those things represent? What does your hand represent? In the scriptures, hand represents what you're able to accomplish. It's what you do. Your feet represent, in the scriptures, where you're going. Your eye represents in the scriptures the desires that you have. So if what you do or where you go or the desires that you have, if they're they're causing you to sin, then Jesus says, you better cut that off or you're you're done. Now, the question I think I would be asking and maybe you're asking is, now, is is Jesus literally saying this? Am I supposed to actually do that? Because Jesus says this same thing in Matthew chapter 5 in the Sermon on the Mount. And I would say yes and no. Yes in the sense that this is a really big deal, don't ignore this. No in the sense that that won't actually cut the heart of the problem out, which is the heart. (laughs) Because I I, I could struggle with my desires and I could cut my eye out because I don't want to have that desire, but that doesn't change my heart. And if that's the strategy for dealing with sin in my own life, then I can just cut off every appendage that causes me to sin in any way and I will, in the words of Dallas Willard, roll into heaven a bloody stump. But here's what Jesus is doing. He's reaching back, most commentators say, to the Old Testament prophet, Zechariah. And we'll put this on the screen for you where he's talking about what he calls the worthless shepherd, the person who does evil and uses God as cover for it. And he says this, Woe to the worthless shepherd who deserts the flock. May the sword strike his arm and his right eye, may his arm be completely withered and his right eye totally blinded. What are you saying I'm supposed to do, Scott? What am I supposed to do? Well, Again, I I don't know how to tie this up in a neat bow because this is a mess. So whenever you you have a mess and you don't know what to do, you've got to figure out what are the things within my power to actually do something about. And if Jesus says that the, the thing that he prizes is humility, then how do I go to the school of humility so that's what we need to do. I mean, I want to give you four classes that you need to take in the School of Humility. And, and you know, when you go to school, there are disciplines that you submit yourself to, and there are classes that you take. And when you go through the curriculum, and you go through the classes, and you learn the disciplines, you earn the degree. And those disciplines that you you engage in, it, it's like running a marathon. I, I, Before I hurt my back, I ran several marathons, and uh, the first marathon that I ran, there was no way if I'd decided one morning to get up and run 26.2 miles that I could have done it. So I I couldn't do that. But here's what I could do. I could run a mile. So I ran a mile. And then then the next day I ran a mile and a half, and then I ran two miles, and then I ran three miles, and then I ran five miles, and then I ran 10 miles, and then I ran 15 miles. I did what I could in order to do what I couldn't. Do you see how that works? That's what a discipline is. That's what a regimen is. Is you do what you can right now to enable you to do something right now you can't do that you want to be able to do in the future. You want to lose weight, eat less calories right now. So we're going to go to school. We're going to go to the school of humility. Here's here's the first class that we need to attend in the school of humility. I'm going to call it the listening class. The listening class. Why does this help us be humble? Well, Because when you listen to someone, when you go with the intent of listening to them instead of telling them, or explaining to them, or rationalizing to them, you're going with a very humble posture that says, there might be something you know that I don't. And you listen with the intent to respond with love, to hear and to do something with the love of Jesus. Uh, there's a word for that in the Bible. It comes from Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 1. It's one of the most famous passages in the Bible. Jesus actually quotes it in the New Testament when someone says, Jesus, what's the greatest command? He reaches back to Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 1. He says, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. Talk about it when you're on the road. Teach it to your children. And that word there, famously, that passage is called the Shema. The Shema is the Hebrew word for it here. Can you say Shema? Shema. And when you hear, here's what it means. It's here with the intent to do. It's when my wife says, hey, take out the trash. She's not asking me, did you hear the words that I said, take out the trash? No. I've only heard her when I've done what she said, right? That's when I hear. So it's, it's listening with the intent to love the person. And you listen. And, and with this issue in mind, specifically, you might go to somebody and you might say, tell me what your experience has been like. I see that you struggle with faith and you are bitter toward the church. Can you just tell me your experience? I'd just love to hear it. I I don't have any judgments for you. I just want to listen. I may not even have any answers. I just, could I just listen? You got to go to listening class. And then you got to go to repenting class. Uh, repentance is, is a word in the New Testament and it's two Greek words put together, metanoia, which means two words, they means with mind, it means to, to rethink, it means to change, it means to reconsider, it means to uh, look at all the angles in a different way because you've got a, a better option available to you. And you know what repentance does? It makes you open to people. It makes you open to a different path. And on this specific issue, the church has not been very repentant. We have not been very open to a different path. We're pretty sure we're right and we're righteous, and so we don't want to listen to someone else. And instead, we, we listen, we, we repent, we say, ah, I, we may have not gotten this one right. We, we have this phrase that we say sometimes in the church, and I 100% understand the motive behind this. And I actually agree with the motive behind the way we say it. But I think we need to change how we say it. We, we say this. We say, I'm going to stand up for the truth. Man, I, 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 I 100% agree that we need to be people of the truth. But listen, we believe the truth is a person. <laughs> the, the way, the truth, and the life. And Jesus is the lion. And I'm pretty sure I don't need to stand up for Jesus in that sense. Like, he doesn't need my protection. He's going to be okay by himself just let the lion loose. I think what we need to do, a repentant attitude, is instead to say, we love the truth and because we love the truth, we're willing to admit when we're wrong, when we see it, when someone else points it out to us and we won't be in the words of Alexander Solzhenitsyn, people of the lie. We'll just love the truth and we're willing to admit it because maybe I'm I'm a fallible human being. I don't have all the information. I don't have all the evidence. Tell me your perspective. Tell me where you're coming from. There were a series of Pastoral scandals in the fall. One of them involved a pastor in New York City who'd become a celebrity because he was a kind of a pastor to celebrities, and and turned out that he was having an affair and got written up in the New York Times and Vanity Fair, and and I read that. I I don't know if you know who I'm talking about, but I read that, and I I I want to have a repentant mind and heart, and so I wrote down some things, and this is what I wrote down because I don't I want to I want to go to school on repentance. I wrote down, I'm not that great. I'm entitled to nothing. I'm full of flaws. I'm not above failing. Because I don't want to think. I got it all figured out, and I'm right. I, I want to be repentant. Listen, that's, those things are true of me, and they're also true of you. So listening class, repenting class, and then serving class. Serving class. Why, why serving class? Well, when you serve someone, you're there, to serve. My wife worked for a company, and uh, it was run by a couple, and they had been very, very successful, and I had not met them, and her, she loved them, and, and had great things to say about them, and they had several different businesses, and, and they were having an event for their employees, and they asked for the employees and their families to come march in this parade, and do all this kind of stuff, and, and so I, I, she said, well, I want you to come, and I said, okay, all right, I'll, I'll go, and, and I, I went, and um, you know, I'm, I'm a pastor and pastor at larger churches and have staff. And so when I say, hey, we need to do X, Y, and Z, they usually say, well, what, what do you want to do? And so I'm just kind of used to saying that this is what it ought to be. And then people just kind of do it. And so I walk up and I'm, I'm like, you know, I'm a, I'm a Christian. I'm a servant. I'm just pretty amazing. And um, hey, business owner, uh, I'm here to serve you. I didn't say it this way, but this honestly, when, I'm, when I look back, this was my attitude. I'm here to show you what a real Christian's like. And <clears throat> Can I, do you need, I see that you need some help outside. <laughs> Can I help you? Sure, come on. And he walked me outside, and I offered to serve, and you know how he treated me? Like I was his servant. Hey, uh, do this, no, put that down, go over there, and I'm like, do you not know, I'm, I'm kind of, <laughs> I realized that wasn't quite what I thought. I realized that serving was something for me that made me feel like I'm great, and that wasn't the point at all. When you actually serve, when you show up, you say to someone else, I'm here for you. It's not about me. The second best-selling book of all time, next to the Bible, most best-selling book of all time, nonfiction book, it is a book written by a pastor in Southern California. His name is Rick Warren. And Rick Warren wrote the best-selling second best-selling nonfiction book of all time. It's called The Purpose-Driven Life. Wonderful book. And you know what the very first line of the book is? how It starts out how you can live a purpose-filled life. It's not about you. Ha. And when you go and you say, I'm going to actually serve, you know what it does? It knocks you down a few notches and you go, it is not about it humbles you. Last one is repairing class. And repairing class, that means that you're you're gonna listen to somebody, and if something needs to be done to reconcile something, you're gonna do what you can do to reconcile things. So here's what that lo- that's looked like for me in a number of instances. I've listened to somebody and they've got some issue, and, and then I find out that some of their issue is with this other person, and I happen to know this other person, and and I'm not about to enter into their thing and be the the person that they can just talk bad about this person about. And so I say, listen, it sounds like if you need healing that you're going to need to talk to this person right here. And if you need someone to go with you, I'll be glad to go with you. And so on more than one occasion, I've gone and said, we need to figure this thing out. Well, let's have you guys talk. And are you hearing what they're saying? And are you hearing what they're saying? And sometimes it's been beautiful and it's been healing and sometimes it hasn't worked at all. But when you when you say, I'm going to be there to help you repair this, if I can You humble yourself. Now, I've got an option for you um, because I think this week that you and I need to put this into practice. We need to go and sit in the school of humility this week. And I, I think that you and I are picking one of the schools because if it's not the school of humility that we are attending, then it is the school of pride. And in the school of pride, you don't listen to people, you tell them, you defend yourself. You tell them how they don't understand and you've got it right and they've got it wrong. And in the school of pride, uh, um, you don't do things like repent. Instead, you're stubborn. You, you double down on your way of doing things. Like, that's how I want it. What's your problem? And in the school of pride, it, it's not about serving. It's not about other people. It's about me and what I want and what I want to have happen. And, and in the school of pride, instead of, repairing things you just ignore problems you're like i don't have time for that you're saying well it's either or i kind of think so i kind of think it is one or the two you're picking one of those schools that you're attending and jesus says listen if if you don't unless you intentionally change and become like one of these children unless you go to the school of humility you're not going to be in my realm And so I want to I invite you to attend the right school this week. So I'd like to pray for you. Could I, could I do that? Would you stand with me here in the room? I understand that this makes you uncomfortable. It makes me uncomfortable. Um, that's why I hope you're in a group. You can talk about these things, these kinds of things. I hope you wrestle with this this week. But when I pray, I often um, will use my body and I do it as a way to express beyond my words what I'm really hoping for. So would would you do something with me? I just want to invite you to do this. Hold your hands out with your palms down like this. And that's a symbol of letting things go. And I would invite you in this prayerful moment, with your eyes closed, to let some things go. Lord, we let pride go. Lord, we let a lack of repentance go. Lord, we let our arrogance go. Lord, we let our need to be right go. Lord, we let our self righteousness go. We let it go. Jesus, we want to enter the school of humility with you. We want to become like a little child, innocent. trusting, humble. So I'd invite you to turn your hands up as a in a posture of receiving. and Lord we receive from you your love. We receive from you your grace. we receive from you your peace. We receive from you what you did for us on the cross where you humbled yourself, you became, obedient to death even death on a cross and so you have been exalted and given the highest name that at the name of jesus every knee should bow and every tongue confess that jesus is lord to the glory of god the father receive your humility lord we as a church we don't want to be guilty of pushing people away and i understand we can't be responsible for what somebody does i understand that but lord we want to be honest We don't want to cover things over in your name. We want to be people of truth and honesty where things are brought out into the light so that healing can come. So help us to be those kind of people. Help us to be that kind of church, willing to talk about the difficult things even though we may not like it. Give us the courage to do that, Lord. Make us agents of healing and reconciliation who call out the darkness and expose it with the light. In the best way possible, Lord. So now, by the power of your Holy Spirit, fill us, enable us to uh, follow you this week, Jesus, in the school of humility. I pray this in your name, and all God's people said.